Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. This week's episode stars three-time national champion, three-time All-American, and all-time great Cardinal, Jenna Gray. It's a lengthy episode, but it can be split up into two segments. In the first, we talk about Jenna's start as a volleyball athlete in Kansas, her desire to do everything her sister did, being a gym rat, almost going to KU, the evolution of her teams at Stanford, her relationship with both Kevin Hambly and John Dunning, plus much more. The second half, which starts at about an hour in, we discuss her evolution as a setter and how her game has needed to progress quickly as she enters a professional circuit with her team, Dresden, in Germany. We talk about the decision-making process, location, tendencies, habits, behavior, attitude, and much more. Check it out. Hey, Jenna. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Very nice to meet you. I'm Matt. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Hi, Jenna. I'm Jackson. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How you doing? I'm good. Just winding down. on. I guess it doesn't feel like Sunday because we had practice today, but winding down on a nice Sunday night. <laughs> Very nice. Anyways, welcome to the podcast, Jenna. <laughs> Um, so we usually start with just how did you get into volleyball? Um, I started because my sister is seven years older than me and I just got dragged along to all of her club tournaments and like all of her practices. So I was a little sister that was just, they would just like hand me a ball and be like, all right, go entertain yourself. So I'd be off on the side, like either hitting it against the wall or sometimes there'd be parents that would like pepper with me. Um, and that's kind of how it started. And my, my sister was a setter. So I've always been a setter. Cause like, I just wanted to be like her mm-hmm. um, and never really questioned it. And yeah, so I've been playing volleyball. I don't even remember when I like first started doing like camps and like actually playing, but I started club in third grade and like we played up tw- like I played 12s, like, like three or four years. <laughs> until like I could start going like 12s 13s and I I played up a year until I repeated my 16s year women's volley is such a trip (laughs) yeah so like I feel it makes me feel really bad when like little girls at camps and stuff or like high schoolers are like when did you start volleyball I'm like my whole life I'm like I'm so sorry that it's so disheartening for you guys Yeah, we who Cassie Lickman was in the same boat. Yeah, where she started setting. Yes, yeah. like I literally, the ball was bigger than my head, but I was setting at nine years old. I was like, how does that really work? Yeah, I know. I'm like, I don't really know like when I started playing, but I'm like, I feel like volleyball is such a hard sport too to play when you're really young because the ball is really bigger than you. Like yeah. when we have the Stanford camps and we have the little kids, I'm like, I don't know what to do with you guys. 
like the ball's heavier than you. It's gonna knock you over. I'm like in teaching setting, I'm like, I hate it. <laughs> I've gotten into that. Uh, <clears throat> I've gotten in the argument with Maddie because when she came to JOs to boys JOs for the first time, everybody that's U14 and under just holds it and chucks it, and it's just normal for the boys. Just normal because either they want to mm -hmm. look cool and beachy. Or they legitimately don't have the strength. And she was like, well, there's 12-year-old girls out there that are setting balls all the way to the pin. I was like, yeah, well, there's a lot more pressure on you guys to be really good at 12. Whereas for us, it's like, you don't have to be good to your 18. So figure it out. Yeah. I feel like that's the annoying thing with, and I feel like women's volleyball can almost learn from that. Like seeing the guys, like the men's side I'd never seen until literally college. Like we don't have it in Kansas um and just seeing the guys like and then I coached um a club tournament in January and the guys were there like you guys just have more fun and <laughs> kind of just play and like do things and I think about how structured volleyball has been for me like s since I was eight years old like uh, I mean I had an insane like platform since I was eight years old and like it's just like so strict and like by the books. And then I see guys that are out there just like being athletic and like having fun and like chucking it up there. And I'm like, damn it. I'm like, I feel like we could really learn from that. Cause sometimes it's, it's way too structured. Like I think about the really cool things that happen in volleyball. Like it's not really what's taught. It just happens. And like you're athletic and you do it. I can't speak for you, Jackson, but I'm sure you're going to be in the same boat as me. How many kids, I, I can't tell you how many kids I've coached from like, that kid is just such a good athlete. He's a moron. But his <laughs> athleticism is going to get him a really long way in this sport. <laughs> but it's sad because you have these kids that are – that's the hard part with – I mean, I guess women would probably be in the same boat. But the boys, when they de if they develop early, it's over. You're like, that's it for you. Like, you peaked – like the Puerto Ricans, for example, for us, <laughs> they destroy U14, U13, U12 volleyball, like annihilate. And then as oh. soon as it gets to U15, there's like a new kid in town and it's all the SoCal teams all of a sudden. No, my 12s year at JOs, we made it to the championship, had to play Puerto Rico. There you go. We got rocked like these girls are like jump top spinning at 12 year olds we were like oh my god like, we're like i've never seen this before and i don't think i ever saw them again but we also thought they were, they looked like they were like 16 years old and like i was maybe as yeah. tall as like the bottom tape like maybe i an extra salt like i could not fit into extra small spandex and these girls like were just like it seemed like at the time like bombing balls at us and then we never saw them i don't think i even saw them 13th year but i we got destroyed yeah that's pretty did you do those uh like high performance camps and stuff or high performance championships <laughs> yeah i did those like i think i did it for two summers um and that's then the story after that, of those like, camps it's like there's that one kid at 14 15 and you're like this guy is god He's going wherever he wants. And then lo and behold, U16s rolls around and you're like, where is that guy? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's, I don't know, it went in just like phases because I was so tiny and it didn't help that I was playing up. But like, I was mm, in high school, probably like freshman year, 
five seven five eight and there were girls that had grown and like were five seven five eight in like middle school and I remember they were like the top club players like everyone wanted to be them and by freshman sophomore year like I don't even know if they're still playing volleyball and I'm like it's such a sad thing and that's also why I think it's scary that colleges commit kids so early because I'm like how can you tell like there are kids that just like have peaked so so early and I'm like I don't really know yeah I don't think you can have you seen that movie Moneyball by chance (laughs) yeah Jackson have you seen Moneyball of course where um he gets in like the head of what is he the head of like uh holy shit the head the, the, he gets in the head scout's face and he's like you think you have some crystal ball and you go in and you tell all these parents that you know exactly what their kids are going to be like and you don't and that's every that's what i feel like every college coach has to do with some 13 year old kid from texas you know and it's like you gotta like magically assume that you have this crystal ball that you know but you don't you have no idea what's gonna happen yeah recruiting is so much luck i feel like you just can't even looking back i'm like how did they know that i think i committed like my sophomore year i'm like how did you know i'm like you definitely got lucky you really get lucky when did the recruiting process really start for you? Um, it started really early for me. It's like, it's, it's really strange to think about now that I'm older. It seemed normal at the time. I think I went on my first visit in eighth grade or like maybe the summer going into freshman year of high school. But like part of it was because I played up a year. So like coaches were watching our courts and then I just kind of got clumped together with them. Um, And then I got a lot of pressure because teams try to get setters locked down first. So like by sophomore year, um, like schools were either like dropping out and they're like, Hey, we need to know by now, or we need to go and get someone else. Um, And I think that's kind of why Stanford is so scary because you can't officially commit until you get in, which was like the summer going into your senior year. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I feel like the whole recruiting process, it seemed normal at the time just because it was what everyone else was doing. But in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, 14, like my 14 or 15 year old self had no idea what I was doing. And like my dream schools at the time were, again, like the schools that my sister wanted to go to. I think if, if Iowa State would have offered to me, I would have like hands down accepted it and gone. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, wow, that. Like, I guess you get, like, the players also, you get lucky where you commit because you don't know what's going to change with the team and the coaching staff. But it's it's a scary process, and I'm glad they're trying to make, I don't know, like, new rules for it. But, but people find ways around the rules, so I don't know. But I'm in huge favor of pushing it back and letting kids wait longer because I know, like, baseball, basketball, like, for a lot of the men's sports, you, like, it's not until junior or senior year of high school, which that's when you have a more clear idea of what you want, like, out of your college experience and everything. So, I don't know. And you grew up very close to the University of Kansas, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm, like, 20 minutes outside of Lawrence. So, why not try to go for the hometown team? Um, It was weird because 
like it's so stupid i didn't really have dream schools i just knew the schools that my sister wanted to go to during her recruiting process and my dad went to ku my mom went to k-state but we were more my sister and i were more k-state fans and honestly for like no reason i think probably just because they were purple and i liked purple more than blue and red i like i don't know how um but i think by the time that KU came around, I had other schools and it wasn't my dream school. The only nice thing was that I got <laughs> like basketball tickets uh, during the recruiting process. And I love going to the basketball games, but I wasn't a huge KU volleyball fan, way more K-State. Um, and by then I also had like my high school coach, my club coaches kind of in my ear and telling me to wait. Like, I'm really, really glad that I had people they were like, don't let your pride and like think it's cool committing early um, get in the way of like you actually making the right decision. And my mom was like, I'm not going to let you actually commit until at least your sophomore year, which very thankful for because there are places I probably would have committed to before Stanford came around and I would be very bummed. <laughs> oh, tell us who. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Where? I, let's break some hearts tonight. Where could or where would you have gone had Stanford not been in the picture? I mean, that's the weird thing is Iowa State really would have been the place. Oh, my God. And it was because – and, like, that's what, like, it was purely because my sister really wanted to go there. Um, my sister ended up going to – she went to UVA. Um, and funny thing about UVA was – I can't remember. She had different head coaches, so I can't remember which one it was at the time. But – like I was in maybe eighth grade and her coach was like, yeah, like Rachel, we would recruit your sister, but she's just way too short to ever make it. And then I grew and hit, I grew like, <laughs> like half a foot and I was six foot thin and they started trying to recruit me. And I was like, no, thank you. Um, but yeah, I would say the, I don't know if there's any big heartbreakers besides like Iowa State, K-State. Like, those are the two that I for sure would have gone to. The other ones that I really looked at were – I liked UW a lot. That was the only other Pac-12 school. Um, a heartbreaker. And then <laughs> um, I looked at Duke, Notre Dame. Again, it's also weird. Like, I didn't really think of myself as, like, going to a really good volleyball school. Like, I just wanted to go to – a good academic school so that's why I looked a lot, like really hard at Duke and Notre Dame to be honest I also I thought I was just gonna ride the bench at Stanford like I would literally work on my serve at club practices because I was like I'm gonna be a serving sub like I'm gonna be a DS like I'll find any way to like scrap my way onto the court so I felt like Stanford was the biggest reach for me and like the other places were safe and I knew I could like maybe get on the court but yeah it's weird thinking about the recruiting process because like I think I underestimated myself a lot and especially earlier on just because I was, I was so much smaller than everyone. There's some heartbreakers. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Oh, Keegan came on, right? And said, yeah, that's people were calling. Somebody was calling J-Mac about some girl by the name of Catherine Plummer and J-Mac didn't pick up the phone. And yes. that's how he missed out on Plummer. And just the thought that you and Catherine could have been at the UW now <laughs> is like, wow, talk about missing out on a dynasty. 
Oh, wait, no, I do have a heartbreaker story. This one, actually, this was so bad. So by the time I had gotten accepted into Stanford and, like, was able to officially commit, I only had KU. Like, the only other school that was left was KU that had hung on for me. Um, and to be honest, like, I, as time went on, I was like, well, I'd be close to home. Like, it would be great. And it was, like, at that time, they'd also made the Final Four. So I was like or I think the next year they made the final four, but they were good. Um, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm so excited I can announce that I'm finally to Stanford. And then I was like, oh my God, I have to call the head coach. And I was like, I can't, I'm so bad at, I'm so bad at doing stuff like that. Like, I feel so bad and so guilty. So I, my mom was like, Jenny, you can't tell any of your friends until you make this phone call. And like during the recruiting process in general, I hated talking to college coaches. Like I, my mom would have to bribe me with candy, literally candy to call, like make, sit down and make calls. And I don't think I ever told my mom this. She would have me call from her phone. She would check the call log to make, I make sure I actually called, but there were points where I would call for one second and then hang up. And then I'd be like, Oh, sorry, mom. They didn't answer. Like, like maybe next time she, and she would check the call log and be like, okay, at least you called. But anyways, I had to call the like, KU head coach. I, do, I like knew I was going to cry and like be a mess and feel really guilty. So I drove to Sonic. I'm like waiting with like a milkshake in the car and I'm like, all right, got to rip the bandaid off. And so I call him and like, we're small talking. I don't really know how to bring it up. And then finally he's like, okay. So like we talked for like five minutes. He was like, all right. So like, what are you actually calling about? And like, right as I'm about to get into, he was like, oh, actually, um, today's my birthday. Like, you know what I'd love for my birthday? And I was like, oh. <laughs> and I immediately was like, I just wanted to tell you that I committed to Stanford and I just got in and like, I'm like crying. Like I'm like sniffle. Oh my God. I'm like getting like almost like the hiccups and he's just like silent. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, I feel like the worst person ever. I just ruined this man's birthday and it, luckily the call only lasted for like a minute or two after that but like it was really awkward because he was just silent and then I hung up and sat at Sonic and ate my or had my milkshake and just like cried in the car and then drove home <laughs> smart of you to get the milkshake before the call instead of oh that. yeah you imagine I mean I knew there was gonna like, be tears. Oh, I really want a <laughs> right now <laughs> <laughs> why did uh, why did you end up choosing Stanford um I I get this question all the time and it's one of those things where it's like I remember going on my first visit and to be honest so Adriana Fitzmorris like went to my high school was on my club team mm -hmm. so a lot of the times like I just assumed that all of these big schools are watching our court for her and when I got the email that they were interested in, like, wanted us, both of us to come on a visit together, like, I, again, just thought they were, like, being polite to me and, like, letting me tag along with Fitz. So I went into my, my first, like, unofficial visit being, like, I was, like, they aren't serious about me, but, like, I get to tour Stanford's campus. It's a nice little break. Like, I'll go to California. Like, this is cool. Like, fun trip. Fun getaway. Um, and then... I remember just the campus and like everything is just perfect there. But I think the biggest selling point for me was 
I thought that the girls and like the staff and everyone was going to be super uptight and just like super hardcore about school, volleyball, like everything, like super crazy and obsessed. And like, yes, everyone is, but like, they're like, they don't come off like that. Everyone's super down to earth and super chill and really, really fun. Um, And I, I was kind of surprised because I was, I was really afraid to go far away from home, but I felt like I was so similar to all of the girls. Um, And then I just remember like in the airport on the way um, home and telling my parents, I was like, I, I don't care how hard I have to work in school. Like I want to put in everything that I can to, to try to go here. Um, So I guess it was just that first visit that really made me realize that. And I think that's one of the things that people say is like, if you can go to Stanford, you're going to Stanford. Um, So it was more a matter of than working to get in for me after that first visit. Pretty rational decision by you. Yeah. (laughs) I think my dad would have killed me. He like didn't want to go on visits to any other schools after after the Stanford visit, just like he never like explicitly was like, you're an idiot if you don't do this. But he was definitely a lot less interested in some of the other places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you get to go visit your daughter in Palo Alto, that's a pretty nice, that's a pretty nice trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I like Stanford on my visit, too. I was like, God, this is beautiful. My mom was like, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been. Amazing. <laughs> And then I remember Kenshi Buya, this is, this is literally the reason I didn't go to Stanford. Kenshi Buya was like, hey, uh, he's like, yeah, we have like the youngest kids ever climb Mount Everest and uh, some p- pianist savants and stuff. And he was like, and your story could be volleyball. I was like, I was like, dude, are you shitting me? Like, that's my story. That's what I'm going to bring to the table here. Is, is volleyball trying to win national championships? That's that's the best I can do when people are trying to now trying to cure like COVID and cancer. And I'm bringing volleyball to the table. I was like, oh, I was like, I'm out. This 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 isn't for me. These people yeah. are too serious. Yeah, to be fair, that's how I felt like all four years. <laughs> like people are doing insane like research in the labs and stuff, and they're like, so what did you do this summer? And I was like went to Europe with my volleyball team. There you go. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really, didn't really do anything crazy. Just played some volleyball. I'm like, just that's all I have to do. Relationships that'll last me a lifetime. <laughs> protoplasms, but whatever. <laughs> Did you play with Moretta? Yep. For two years. Okay. I, she was in Seattle playing with Courtney Schwann for an AVP. And so I finally got to meet her. I was like, wow, you are like, you're great. I've, I don't know you at all, but I really like you. And then I started to like get like a little hint of how smart she was. And I was like, oh shit, like you're leaps and bounds ahead of where I'm ever going to be. And so when Corona first started and she was in Korea, she was messaging Maddie and she said, I've literally been waiting my whole life up until this point for a global pandemic like this. This is what I studied in college. It's exactly what she did, yeah. It's exa- she's like, it was like infectious, rare infectious diseases is exactly what Like the what statistics of it and like analysis. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, I love this shit. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm in Korea and I can't do 
anything I work my ass off to do <laughs> with this pandemic. And I was like, that is a different breed right there. <laughs> I was like, another reason why I didn't go to Stanford. No, that's like the hard part for me was asking for class recommendations or just being like, hey, is this doable? Like with like the human biology core, like I would ask. And like the hard part is everyone hides it. Like everyone hides how, like some of the athletes, they really hide how smart they are. And I would ask and they're like, oh, that class was so easy, so doable. And I would be in it like a couple days in and I'm like, no, I'm like, no, this was such a bad idea. Like you, and then I realized that they're geniuses and everything's simple for them. And I'm like, all right, I'm really on my own to figure out if something's hard or easy or not. But that's like, who was it? Do you know Courtney Bowen? She, I guess she played yes. Maddie for a year. Yes. A genius. Who that is. A genius. Like she, she did the, the finance. Her parents are in finance in like New York or something. Yeah. She yes. did. Um, brilliant with so, like Wall Street. Her sophomore year, like I barely scraped by doing the human biology like core. She did the hum bio core and the, um, oh shoot, I can't remember the other one. She took two core, like, like the core for two majors in the same year and like two of the hardest ones. And I had no idea. And I was asking her for class recommendations and I didn't realize that like everything just comes to her so easily. And I was like, oh, like she's another breed of a person. And I've never met someone way more social than me too. Like it's upsetting. Like I thought that was at least like the upper hand that I would have. Like I might not be as smart as you, but like I can, like I'm social. No, no. Like she would be out every single night with friends. And I'm like, damn it, everyone knows you. You're so cool. I'm like, I literally beat you in no facet of life right now. Way more athletic than me. Just hadn't played near, like hadn't played as much volleyball. Or like in the summer she wouldn't train and she would be off like working in New York. And that's, and like, I'm like, damn it. I'm like, you literally are better than me in every single thing that we are doing here. Is that something that occurs often at Stanford? Like, is there this, is there a lot of external pressure at Stanford to be above and beyond what you think a normal human being should be like? Yeah. I like, I feel like just playing, like I, I don't know. I didn't set in until like I go back home or something and you realize how hard being a student athlete actually is. Like you have no time. You're not really doing anything. But at Stanford, it seems like such a just like lame or like easy thing to be doing when all these other people are like doing insane research. I think at the beginning of coronavirus, like someone made a test lab like out of their garage and like the government or like was like asking to use it it's just like stuff like that is always happening and you're just like shit I'm like I should probably try doing something else then I'm like because the worst oh the worst was like at the beginning of every quarter like after the summer they like the icebreaker be like like name pronouns and what you did this summer and I would be like wait name pronouns yeah so it'd be like I say like Jenna Gray she her and I played volleyball this summer and then okay. someone would be like, hi, so-and-so, like they, them, I cured cancer this summer. And I'm like, I, <laughs> like, I would just always try to go first. So I didn't have to follow up something just like insanely ridiculous. 
think I would just lie. Just be like the facetious guy, you know? Be like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I had a kid. I had twins this summer and I cured cancer and I also became a firefighter down the street. It was great, you know? I saved kittens. It was huge. You know? Sometimes in sections. Greatest thing since sliced bread. (laughs) Sometimes in section, just to like, Morgan hated section and like hated having to introduce herself. And we, you would also do like, talk with the person next to you and then you're going to introduce them so like remember and she would be so nervous to talk like she would be introducing me and she would have to write down like jenna gray like sophomore from kansas fun fact this and just to mess with morgan because i knew it catch her so off guard like i would just make up all of these facts about her and like where she was from like what she does and she was like jenna stop it people are gonna ask me after class but i would just like say ridiculous things about her just to see her like get flustered it was it was incredible. But yeah, I didn't start that until like sophomore year when I was like, oh, no one actually cares in section. Like, and sometimes it's way more annoying. Like when people are bragging, I'm like, okay, come on. It's literally section. No one wants to be here. Stop like gloating about how brilliant you are. Like it sucks. You're making me feel bad. Yeah. All right. Know. So get into the volley a little bit. You won three national championships. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, what was freshman year like? Because you guys had a pretty big freshman class um, in your class mm-hmm. and you starters in that class. Um, yeah, what was that first year like? I feel like that first year, the phrase that always comes to mind is just like ignorance is bliss. I think we just didn't really understand sometimes like how good the teams were that we were playing against and like some of the girls I think for me like I it was fun like I'm the youngest in my family so I always have a fun time just like chipping away at older people and like I'm so used to messing with my older sister so like getting to play some of the really big names that I had grown up watching I was like oh this is so fun like no expectations on me like if I can get a few points on them I'm like that's sick I'm having fun um but that was kind of it was a roller coaster of a year our I think our starting lineup in the first like match of the year, I think maybe one or two people ended up in those same positions um, by the end of the year. So a couple injuries, like a lot of weird things happening. We started off in a six, two. Um, and yeah, I remember we, and we had a really rocky start. <laughs> I think we, our first, our home opener, we got reverse swept and that was bad. There was a lot of games that, like, it, we were young. I guess that's the thing. It's like, we were young. It was hard to keep focus for a full match and, like, stay on people. But it's all about peaking at the right time. And it helped that we had Inky Ajanaku, who literally is an insane human being. Like, she was – and it made my job a lot easier just being able to toss the slide up and know that people would double her. And, like, she would just hit over. Like, it was ridiculous. But – freshman year was really fun and it was really fun being the underdogs and just like not really having any expectations people didn't think that we could do it um so yeah it was fun for us we were what the we were really tall that year too I think we were the tallest the youngest and I think the worst record to ever win a national championship in NCAA history (laughs) and so 
you said that your expectations while you were still in high school, you were like, yeah, I'm going to ride the bench. I might be a serving sub. You get thrown into the fire. When did you kind of get the confidence of like, oh, I belong here and I can, I can set this team. I can set at this level. Um, I mean, I feel like it took a while. Just honestly, like there's a moment that I specifically remember we were in the locker room and like we'd done this kind of activity where you write down your goals. And then we were just like talking with partners and, I had been talking with Inky and I was like, listen, my goal is honestly, like, I just remember the phrase, like, you're only as good as your worst player. And I was like, I just don't want to be the player that's holding us back from being great. Like, I don't want to be, I know I'm not the best one out there. Like it's hard when there's just insane people on the court. Um, and I was like, I just want to keep up and I don't want to be the reason that we're losing. And Inky was like genuinely so, so shocked like it was it, at least I don't think she was blowing smoke up my ass but like was so shocked by my response and she was like what are you talking about she was like you you're out on that court for a reason like you deserve to be here and I don't know why you think that like why else would you be out there if the coaches didn't believe in you and at that point I was like also because I never expected to play with Inky um like she was in Maddie's class who we all kind of idolized and then when Inky tore ACL and I found out that I was going to be playing with her for a season, I was like, oh, God. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I was like, I'm going to be fangirling way too hard to be setting Inky. Um, so, yeah, to, like, get to play with her and then hear that Inky believed in me, I was like, damn it. I was like, if Inky Ajanaku believes in me, like, why don't I believe in me? Like, that's kind of crazy. Um, and so I think that kind of sparked it a little bit for me. And then – as the season went on, it was really nice having other freshmen out there, though. I think it would be so hard to be the only freshman or, like, have one other out there with you um, because I think we all went through the same struggles of confidence and being, like, are we actually supposed to be out here? Like, feel really young and kind of it's a little early for us. Um, so it was really nice having my class to lean on that year, too. How do you feel John managed you guys – in the sense of not just as volleyball athletes, because I've heard he's a phenomenal teacher, but just as people mm -hmm. and like these ebbs and flows that you were going through and these peaks and valleys as the season. Um, I think John, <laughs> John was funny because he wasn't like as hands-on, which like, I think I appreciate. I like figuring stuff out on my own and like in matches, I also appreciated that he wasn't in my ear constantly and like it made me feel like he trusted me and like just kind of let me do my thing um I think it was like beginning of conference play we had check-in meetings with him the freshmen and like all the freshmen were coming out of their meetings I'm like oh how'd it go and they're like oh it was great it was great I'm like oh, okay cool easy meeting I walk in and he just like sits there and he was like <sighs> he was like I have yet to figure you out and I was like all right. Um, I was like, love to hear that. And it was partially because like I screwed around a lot at practice and like just wasn't great at paying attention. In my defense, we had really complicated drills and somehow the drills like the caveat always was like the setter had to remember. So I would always be the first person to screw it up. And John <laughs> also recommended for me to get tested for ADHD that season. Um, I did. I do have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like the way that John handled things a lot because 
I mean, like, he's a legend in the volleyball coaching world. And he was really willing to change his coaching style because he was, like, I think we were just, like, a really goofy class. And we, it was because we were so young. And as time went on, he learned to be a little more chill and just, like, let us have fun. And that was the way we did things. Um, so I appreciated his coaching style. It was pretty hands-off, very chill. Um very analytical though he taught a lot like we watched a lot of film um and he you could tell that he was a teacher because like he wouldn't just give you the answer he would kind of make you work for it which sometimes was the absolute worst because you had to use your head and like during film and stuff he would actually ask you questions and like make you think about it and it really kept you on your toes but I I overall really love John's coaching style like very chill. He felt like he was like our grandpa. Yeah, just like a chill, nice, <laughs> a nice man. <laughs> That's how Marvin was too. I mean, he could get in your face for sure. But uh, overall, he was just like, hey, just happy to be here again today, guys. Like, yep. who wants to hang out after? Which was great, but he was very much the same. Like, he'd give you this yoda like wisdom or yes and you're like what the fuck am i supposed to do with that (laughs) (laughs) like what what does that even mean man and 10 years later i'm still like i i don't know what he was trying to tell me (laughs) but if i get another 10 years maybe i'll figure it out maybe it'll come i remember one time i don't know if john's like a big guy with like one-liners but my freshman year I was for the guys it's really young to be 17 coming into your freshman year for the women it's more normal I was 17 into my freshman year and I remember we were walking to the bus and the rule with Marv is if you're one minute late to the bus we're out like you got to figure out a way (laughs) right so like he's notorious for leaving and it doesn't matter who you are you could be three-time All-American, four-time All-American, like, you're not on the bus. You're not on the bus on time. And on time means five minutes before departure. If you're not there, we're out. And, like, you might, have to, you might have to taxi your way to wherever we're going. Like, that's not his problem. That's your problem. So one time, I'm just standing there, and he goes, hey, hey, Matt West, you walk. They follow. And I was like, uh, okay. So I just started walking. <laughs> And I looked behind, and everybody started following me. I was like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> so now every, every time I have, like, a young group, or even if, like, it's our captain for any pro team I'm on, I'm like, hey, hey, you walk. They follow. And, then, and, it, and they're like, okay. And they start walking. And then everybody's like, oh, that guy knows where he's going. I'm like, oh, my God, it works every single time. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. I feel like John didn't have any, like, I can't think of any one-liners like that, but I mean, we probably, I'm like thinking about how rambunctious and just annoying and young we were. We probably tested his patience so much. And there were times where I was expecting to get screamed at. Like, I was like, we deserve, I'm like, that was dumb. That was really dumb. We deserve, like, there was one point where like, against Minnesota we started celebrating and the ball wasn't down and just drops and like they hit it over and just like swings over and right back and there's the funniest clip of us all like 
jumping in the middle and then like see we all stop and like see the ball drop on our side but like John would never that was a crazy thing he would never like raise his voice but he would just like get angry in the weirdest way so there's one time he was like I'm so angry I could I could pee on a squirrel and we were like (laughs) 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 we all were like interesting I don't or like he would then we had like a rule like if a ball dropped without anyone going for it they would put a tally on the whiteboard and then like flip the whiteboard at the end of practice and like you oh they write your initials by it too so like your initials were up there it sucked because you'd do what like a minute wall sit or like a minute playing for every oh that's a great deal and my balls yeah. up left and right. I gotta get these things strong. <laughs> but then the the funniest part was like that was the closest thing we had to punishment. And he'd be like, All right, ready, go. And like ten seconds in, you could see he was like getting like a little uncomfortable, like just standing there. And he would just like start doing wall sits with us. Like, <laughs> John, you you shouldn't gotta get his work in. It kind of takes away from the punishment. Like he would do the punishment with us um but yeah so I think that was always like funny now where we were expecting like genuinely we're like John please yell at us we're like please we deserve it we're like stop being so nice to us like you can be mean to us we're being idiots (laughs) was it Jackson and I came from a we come from a very similar learning tree where like he's never actually met Marv but everybody that he's played for worked under Marv Mm -hmm. So, like, Marv is really big on working people. Like, he loves working people. And by working people, I mean, if you, like, if he likes you, you could have a great day. It could be your birthday. And that means you're going to run into the stands for a ball. Because he's just <laughs> like, hey, let's celebrate by me, like, throwing balls around the gym, you know? Like, that's just, and that's the school of thought that we come from. Right? So, like, we had one freshman and I would scream at him literally for two weeks straight. I screamed at him every day to not hit low seam. So one day he hits low seam, he gets blocked straight down and I start screaming at him. And because I don't cover, I get worked, <laughs> right? I'm getting worked. And then the next day, this same kid for no reason proceeds to get worked, right? And then he gets worked for the next two weeks straight for no reason, couldn't tell you why, I, I don't know why, but he would just randomly yell, Colby, get this ball, boom. Next thing you know, Colby's gone for a minute, and then Colby's back. So Jackson told me a story, and I think you'll appreciate this, about D-Rosh Coates the other day. Yeah, can you tell yeah. the story? I think this story's, um, I think you'll love this story. Yeah, so D-Rosh Coates, uh, Pierce College legend, went to Pepperdine, but he was the player of the year his freshman year in junior college, and they won state and all good times. The next year, he was academically ineligible. So <laughs> he's still practicing with the team, and no matter what happened at practice, D-Rosh got worked. It's like, all right, D-Rosh is playing well. Why are you ineligible? Go, go, go. <laughs> D-Rosh or <laughs> D-Rosh's team is losing. D-Rosh, what's happening? Go, 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 go. <laughs> Every single day. <laughs> that worked. Oh, my God. But then, what was it? Then one day, so, and this happens to us all the time. So, I would love to see you, like, 
Because Marvel always has women come for these like female camps, obviously. And so one time, this girl, uh, I won't say her name, Emily Cook, got she <laughs> she started getting a coach on one, and they he starts throwing the balls, and she's just like, I can't get any of these. And that's not the point. The point is to just go. Like, you just throw yourself because you don't know until you go, right? So we're all just screaming, go, just throw yourself. It'll be over so much faster. So Jackson told me the other day about D-Raj being ineligible. And then one kid, some freshman at Pierce. Yeah. Some freshman at Pierce was getting worked, and he wasn't going for the ball. And he was like – just not doing it the right way. So D-Rosh gets in the drill, grabs him, throws him out, and says, this is how you do it. <laughs> takes over the coach on one Yeah. Oh, my God. I wasn't That's there, amazing. but it's one of my, one of my favorite Pierce stories. <laughs> it's amazing, though, because after, like, your freshman year, which is your scariest year, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to get embarrassed today. <laughs> then by your sophomore year, you're just cheering people on. You're like, yeah, I think it was bad. Like, you know, it's like the best, it's the best part of your day is when somebody gets worked. You're like, yes. <laughs> you're just feeding Marv. You're like, come on, give him five more. Just come on, keep it going, keep it going. Kill him, you know? And then if he's a receiver or a Libra, you're like, Serve him. As soon as it's over, you're like, serve him. Kill him. You know? <laughs> Kill that guy. Kill that guy. You know, or if right, he's in the middle, let's, uh, let's the middle you're like, oh, we got to kill him. You know, he's going to be in a straight read. Just destroy him for the next five balls. <laughs> let's get back to uh, – <laughs> Sorry. Let's get back to Stanford. No, that was good. Okay. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, all right, so you win your freshman year. Did anything change for you or the team, like as far as maybe internal expectations or pressure or external expectations or pressure? Like kind of what was the vibe after that year? Yeah, and then it – so it – yeah, freshman year is just like no expectations. You kind of go in like you're 18. No one expects a freshman like – or what, four starting freshmen to do much. Um, then it happens and then it's like – oh God, you have three years ahead of you. And I think then the pressure like was really put on us because people were like, they won as a freshman, like they could take the next three years. Like if they can do it now, then they should do it the next three years. And that's when it was like really cool on one hand. Cause it's like, wow, we did it our first year. Like we could actually be like the Penn state classes that won all four years, but also it, we started to actually have pressure and expectations on expectations on us which we didn't have before then um so I think sophomore year was by far the hardest year um and it was just because we it's just not as fun when things are expected out of you you know it's like either you do it and people are like yeah you were supposed to or you don't and people are like shocked or just like also at Stanford, like people wanted us to lose then. I, I think before we felt like we were like America's sweethearts, like everyone loved how young we are and it was fun and cute. And then after that, it was like, no, people, it, it is boring. Like it's boring to see the same team win over and over again. So like people didn't want us to win and it was not as fun. But for us, it was really hard to having our whole coaching staff 
change. And especially when it was like, well, we won a national championship, like doing what we were doing before. Like, why are you trying to change stuff about us? Like, that doesn't make sense. And I think we were pretty hesitant to that. Um, and then <laughs> at least for us too, like, I don't know if it happens with men's teams, but like, there's always such a distrust between sophomores and freshmen. So like, we just like did not trust our freshman class when they came in. We were like, I don't trust these guys. We're like, I'm not feeling their vibes right now. And like, it's funny because they're like our best friends, like best friends. Um, but yeah, so sophomore year was just a lot of pressure because we thought we had to win and that we were going to, and we didn't really get challenged a whole lot um, during conference play like we had in the year before. So I think we went into the tournament, like, I think it takes like one or two wins that you really grind out and like, are like, wow, like we are really good and we can handle like these tough matches and adversity and stuff like that. And I don't think we, we ever really had those moments. Um, so by the time it came to the final four, we, I don't know. I don't think we were just, we had the talent, but we weren't the best team that year. And then I, I think that was the best thing for us because it kind of showed us, it was like, I don't care if you guys have the best pieces, like we have to figure something out and rearrange and figure out our communication styles and like working together and working with Kevin and honestly trusting Kevin a lot more. We were pretty distrustful of him too. Cause we were like, who is this guy? We're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Cause he never, he didn't recruit me like I didn't know Kevin before this or before he came to Stanford. Um, so yeah, sophomore year was was hard, but I think really good for us. I think if we had if we had won my sophomore year, I really we would not have won my junior and senior year. So I think no one wants to lose, but it was a good learning lesson and kind of you also learn how bad it feels to get eliminated from the tournament. Like as much as I remember winning and like the confetti coming down I remember just as vividly walking off the court with tears in my eyes like after that Florida match I remember I got drug tested after that match I remember sitting on the toilet crying like getting drug tested I'm like those are the moments that I have like seared into my brain and I remember the next two years I was like I will never I will work as hard as I can to never have to feel that again because it sucked so badly did you also like in cahoots with having an entirely new staff and losing seniors? Did you feel like there was also a lack of leadership your sophomore year? I know for me, I don't, it could totally be an ego thing. And, but I think ego is a big part of athletics. Did you ever feel like egos got in the way of who was going to be like the franchise and like, who's going to have the keys of the kingdom? Like, you're going to take us to the promised land. Like you're going to be our leader. This is, you know, this is like who we're going to follow. Cause I know for yes. me, it was for me, it for yes. sure was. That was like one of the biggest issues that we had was, um, I mean, Inky was our, was our leader. What yeah. they, during the tournament, like my freshman year, they made a graphic and it was like Inky and the Inkettes and like all the freshmen we were called the Inkettes like she was our leader like we would do anything that Inky said and then it was just it was really weird not having anyone to just like definitively say something and everyone respected it and just like went with it right away and I'm trying to think Moretta 
was the only senior. Yeah, Moretta was the only upperclassman. Um, but being upperclassman doesn't automatically well, dictate whether you have leadership skills or not. And that was like the issue is I think we all were looking towards Moretta and Moretta's just way better. Like she loves Y ball. She does her thing, but it wasn't, I think like talking in the huddles and doing all of that just wasn't her thing. And by then that was the biggest lesson for me to learn too, is I didn't think that I had any, you know, like reason to be the one like speaking up and doing stuff. And Kevin finally like pulled me aside and was like, Hey, like, we need you to talk up more or like speak up more and like actually do stuff because people do listen to you. And I, I didn't think that because I wasn't an all American. I was just a sophomore. I was like, I have no room to be trying to tell people what to do and like whatnot. So it was also kind of a, a little bit of like a power struggle and figuring out who's going to be the one to talk. And it was probably made worse just because not everyone was fully bought into or like trusted our staff yet. And Kevin doesn't do like captains or like anything like that. <laughs> he would, <laughs> our first meeting when we asked what the team rules were and like about captains, cause it had always been like explicitly stated and they would have meetings. He was like, natural leaders will rise. And we were all like, uh, okay. We're like, that's kind of dramatic. We're like, all right. We're just, okay. Um, so yeah, that was, one of the biggest issues my sophomore year was like in those big moments like we didn't really know which person to look towards because like no one was confident enough and by my junior and senior year like we figured out kind of everyone figured out their roles and it's just like Morgan's kind of the intense and like enforcer like Morgan is really intense and she pushes everyone Plummer just kind of <laughs> leads by example and leads by just being plumber and just pounding the ball and like everyone gets confidence when plumber is just doing her thing and then I was also more of the like relaxer and just like keeping it together keeping it calm um but by my sophomore year we did not have that dynamic figured out um so it was it was sort of a mess it was a lot of a mess how did you guys solve that problem going into your junior year because people I think people perceive that it's over in December and then you're back in August and they're like, well, you have a lifetime to figure it out, but eight months is nothing because in that eight months, you're really only practicing for like maybe two total. So how yeah. did you guys, how did you guys find a solution? And was there a lot of like off the court stuff that you guys like you guys talked amongst each other and like had discussions of like, Hey, this is what I feel like we need to do. And this is what I need from you or whatever. Yeah. We had a lot of off court and like for us preseason, like classes don't start until like end of September. So the first like two months we're there, like it's just all volleyball. So we have time for also like meetings and team culture and like stuff like that. And we really just like revamped everything about our team and like talked through a lot of our issues because a lot of things were like we just had unspoken problems and we never addressed them so then they just like all like like built up and like everyone knew they were there and like no one would ever address like the elephants in the room and 
the biggest one was like leadership and who was going to do what. And so we took time and like, we had probably like four or five meetings um, in preseason and like addressed every single issue. And then we all promised and we're like, basically for just like more direct communication. I think we always tiptoed around things and we finally were like, Hey, just call someone out. And then we also then set the rule that like, if you don't like the way that someone called you out, then you can call them out for how they called you out. But like you have to do it later. And it was just like, it was like a funny way to talk about communicating, but it was really, really helpful because then we just had a lot more direct communication. And then we had actual meetings between like me, Morgan and Plummer and how we were feeling and like how we thought that we wanted huddles to go. And I think that's the biggest thing that people don't realize that happened behind the scenes or just like how much work there is behind the scenes to reinvent yourselves like every single season and work out kinks that nobody sees behind closed doors. Like there's a lot of stuff that happens that people have zero idea about that has happened every single season with all of us. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about positive self-talk as a setter. And I was like, nobody tells you, everybody tells you that positive self-talk exists. And it's like, put the note on your bathroom uh, you know, like mirror that says, I'm going to get a 2400 on my SAT. You're pretty. You're great. You're the best thing that's happened since the keyboard necktie, all that stuff. But it, nobody tells you that you have to do it every play some days. And nobody tells you that it's not going to be like a one-time 10-minute pep talk that's going to last you a lifetime, like some achievement award. And that's what you think it is. And you're like, all right, I just need to do this once. And like, I believe in myself. And that's just not reality <laughs> at all. So as a setter in that time where you have all this pressure on you, because you're the, I mean, besides Plummer, like Plummer's just going to do her thing. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's your job to deliver the ball and make all the right choices how did you deal with that pressure and that stress of like, we have all the pieces. I don't want to be the worst person on this team and be the reason that we lose. How did you deal with that? How much positive self-talk did you have through those next two years? I had to have so much positive self-talk. And I also, I also met with Kevin. I think we always like everyone on the team does like bi-weekly meetings and I had weekly meetings with him and it would just be like how I felt or like what I was doing and there are times just as a setter like especially in the hard matches where I feel like I'm just not helping and that's what I'd always tell Kevin I was like I feel like I'm the least helpful person on the court right now like I'm putting the ball up but like I feel like I'm helpful I feel like helping for me is like giving hitters like one-on-one situations but sometimes it's just not necessarily possible with like the pass and the blocking systems but literally what I always say in my head is I'm like as long as we're winning I'm doing a good job I'm like as long as I'm like I don't care how many assists I don't care like what it is I'm like as long as we are winning it it doesn't have to be pretty I'm like as long as we are winning I'm doing my job as long as my hitters look good then I look good because I think sometimes I would get caught up in like wanting to do something like fancy cool and getting my hitters one-on-one and like all these things and I'm like I had to drop that because I was like I will never be the star on this team. Like, it's just impossible. I'm like, I could 
do the most insane set of my life, but it will never beat a plumber bounce or like a Morgan Hintz like diving save. I'm like, at that point, it's just like, do the basics and go from there. Um, so yeah, that was probably what I always told myself is I was like, you know what, you're doing your job of winning, just win everything else will figure it out and I was like it feels good to win it feels a lot worse to lose so I'm like you're doing a good job and I had to end but there's a lot of moments where I was I talked with Kevin and I'm really thankful for him because I would tell him I was like I think I suck I was like Kevin I just want to be an all-american and I suck and I get that I suck but like can you help me and just like try and he was like Jenna what are you talking about and I was like no I'm bad and he's like no you're not he's like you can easily be an all-american so Again, I had a lot of help from outside sources, but and Cass also. Like I would talk with her; she was really helpful. But yeah, I would say just reminding myself that, like, at the end of the day, winning is what really matters. And if we can win, then I've done my role. Went ugly. You did a pretty good job of that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't consider myself the prettiest setter. And that's why sometimes people, God, I, I feel like I'm one of the most, not disliked, or just in my head, though, like, I'm not the prettiest setter. Sometimes, like, oh, I used to go on Volley Talk, too, and they hated me. And at first, that's I used to get disaster. to me. But after, Don't do that. I did that in college, It was a disaster. Too. A disaster. But at a certain point, it almost becomes, like, by my junior and senior year, it became so fun because it was like people shitting on me, but like we kept winning. So like you're shitting on me, it's kind of invalid. Like <laughs> I hope you're doing something right. Like I don't, sure. like, I don't care. I was like, as long as we're winning, I really do not care. Um, so I think when I finally like stopped being like, doesn't have to be pretty, just has to get done. <laughs> yeah. How, and that, that just carried for the next two years for you. Yeah. You're just, well, I think, too in the way that you play i think if you were to go back and dissect each one of your matches and you picked and you were like going to be really picky and choosy and we're like if this was going to be my first side out option my second third fourth i think if you went back in time i think all of your choices are the right choices in all honesty yeah. and like that doesn't and just because it's right doesn't mean it's going to be like no block yeah. You know what I mean? Like you set plumber and she has three blocks in front of her and the whole country knows that it's going to happen, but it's like, that's the right choice. <laughs> so who cares? Like what difference? I literally, I had a talk with John um, freshman year and he was like, so he was talking about Bren Kehoe and she was getting annoyed. Cause like one of their hitters, like was hitting at a stupid number. John was like, keep setting her. And she was like, well, there's two people in front of her. And he's like, well, is she still scoring? She was like, well, yeah he's like then why are like why stop setting her and I think that was also I was like you know what like a good offense is not a pretty or a flashing one a good offense is a winning offense and like if Plummer's putting the ball down with three people up like if anything that's way more frustrating for the other team like you guys are putting yeah. everyone on her I'm gonna keep feeding her and pissing you off like sure. um so yeah I feel like if and also, I guess my, the way I think about setting is like, my job is to make others look good. It's not my job to make myself look good. Sure. And sometimes the pretty sets like aren't the best choices. Like it, setting is so much more than 
like how many blockers are up with your hitters. It's also like which hitters on and putting them in the best positions and like building up confidence for some hitters and also setting up for later on in the match, like the matchups and where you want blockers to be leaning. So yeah, I definitely settled into my style of setting junior and senior year and being okay with just playing or like doing the solid choice and doing my job because at the end of the day, I also am surrounded by insane players that are going to do their job and put the ball down and win. For sure. For sure. I remember the two setters prior to me, I was fortunate enough to have them both as assistant coaches. And one of them was a four-time All-American. And I think he's the greatest setter in Pepperdine history. And the second one was a two-time All-American, and he was a fantastic setter as well. And so both of them told me, Marv only told me one thing in my entire career. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what was it? And Winder said it was, hey, Winder, I think we set Rooney. And it, and it was like when Rooney had two or three guys in front of him, he was like, I think we set Rooney because he's hot. It didn't matter. <laughs> And Casey told me, Casey, I think we set Paul. And Casey was like, I'm setting Paul every ball. And he's got three blockers in front of him. And Marv said, I think we set Paul. And then he's walked away. <laughs> and Marv came up to me my junior year. And he told me one thing, my, like literally my whole career, he told me like one thing that I can honestly remember. And he goes, oh, Wes. I always call him Marvin Dumpy. And he goes, I think it was that Josh. And I said, I think that's a good idea. And he goes, okay. And he just walked away. And I was like, I made it. I made it. <laughs> this is the thing that he says, you know, but it's so true. Like sometimes, yeah, you just set the hot hand, man, especially in college. Like there's so many, there's just some dominant people. It's like, just let them go. There's a reason they're yeah. great. Let them be great. Yeah. I'm let like, it would be stupid of you to not. Yeah, let the other team work. I love that Fitzmorris gets lost in all this. She's so gnarly. She's so good. She <laughs> is also, she is one of the most understated players. And like, even on our side, like the feel of the game, like sometimes I wouldn't be setting Fitz as much. And my sister would be like, hey, like you can keep going to Fitz. And I'm like, no, I just, I, I don't know if she's really hot this game. And she's like, Jenna, she's hitting like 800 yeah. right now. And I'm like, oh, okay like Fitz just like goes in like a silent sniper just like does her job and yeah she really gets lost in the in I guess our whole class like but I mean plumber it's just like hard to it's hard to outshine that and not get lost in the shadow of plumber so but yeah Fitz was great I'm sad that Fitz was she was supposed to be out here with us in Germany um yeah I, she so mm -hmm. so that's what that's a bummer. I would have loved having her out here. She's just like really funny too. I like her personality is also so similar to her on the court, like pretty silent, but then she'll just come in and just absolutely crush a ball. Like off the court Fitz is like pretty quiet, like kind of an observer. And then if you stand close enough to her, like you'll actually hear the joke she makes and she is roasting people. And it is so funny. <laughs> like they're the, she's so freaking funny. <laughs> So I miss having fits and like, it's been weird too. We played the last eight years together. Like we did club high school, college together. 
Um, so it's my first year in a long, long time playing without her. I've never had that, so kudos to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what club are you playing for in Germany? Uh, DSC, so Dresdner Sport Club. Maddie played for, <laughs> for it, That's too. That's pretty sweet. Dresden is awesome. I guess we're in a mini lockdown right now, which is a bit of a bummer, but it's 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 really nice. It's huge. And like we're right by the river and yeah. there's a lot of things to do like outdoors in the city. The food is great. And I'm like, well, even lockdown isn't that bad out here. So I would take being out here than back home right now. What's your pro experience been like this year? It's been good. I obviously like it's probably a lot different than what it actually is like um, because we now have no fans. um, And we, (laughs) I mean, when I got here, we had to quarantine and then maybe like a month in, we had a friendly scrimmage in Poland and like mid match, they pulled their best right side. And we were like, that's really weird. And then, we're back in the hotel and it's like 9:30, like 10 and our coach was like meeting now and we all were like and they found out mid-match that she tested positive which ended up being a false positive but we still we got quarantined for two weeks even because the German government just was like nope you're gonna stay in quarantine for for two weeks anyways um so other than the quarantines it's been good I think for volleyball it's just I'm so used to the college game and there are things that make sense in my head and decisions that make sense in my head. And I'm like, Oh, this is a, this is a great decision right now. And then there's like two blockers up and I'm like, what? And so it's just kind of rewiring how I think about and like basically thinking like the blockers. Um, And then the other thing is it's so quick. Um, And luckily we ran the ball pretty fast at Stanford um so it hasn't been too difficult on that end but blocking is hard and for me it's hard too like I miss plumber (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) I played I played I knew like I knew I I actively like tried to remind myself I was like do not take this for granted like do not take it for granted like she's a beast but uh I miss having like someone like that in those crunch moments where it's just like yeah, everyone knows the ball's going to you. You know I'm going to set you. Like, I know I'm going to set you, but you're still probably going to get a kill. Um, so I do miss having just, like, someone that's just ridiculously dominant like that. But it's been nice having Morgan out here. I feel like I'm now, whatever team I go to next, like, I keep reminding myself, do not take Morgan for granted because there are so many balls that, like, my – like, I would be shocked freshman year of college by balls. She would get up, and I'd be like, oh, sh-. like, I would be going, like, into the middle, like, hey, next point. And then I'd be like, holy shit, it's up. I have to go set that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now that's just, like, my standard. So, yeah. But it's been good so far. Now it's more adjusting to the weird, like, no fans, but they're trying to play, like, sounds of fans. But, like, it sounds like the ocean. So it sounds like they're playing, like, sleepy time ocean thing like music during our matches and then in between points they're just like blasting music trying to make it like lively and stuff so definitely a really weird atmosphere but I think every every volleyball player is going through that right now 
Do you feel like I remember this my first year? <clears throat> if I was to go back to college right now, I could tell you everybody's system. Easy. No brainer. I'm like, I know that left side is going to be here because this ball is here. That right mm -hmm. side is going to be there. This guy's reading because they refuse to commit because that's just the system. My yes. Literally by my senior year, I was like, I know how to beat teams, not because of personnel, but because like their ideology and their philosophy on volleyball is this. So I know this is the right decision and they will never change it because this is what say Rick McLaughlin is telling them at Santa Barbara. They are gonna read quick and seams, play the short way until one guy takes a step and then I can open it up and I'm never gonna play yep. the play. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, I literally like yeah. you dub. I'm like they're gonna be in a tight bunch read, yeah. beat him down. Open them up. Yeah, open it up. <laughs> Just overload them. All right, and we got them right where we want them. But uh yeah, and then you go to pro and then it's so personnel based and it's like you know, if she's a small setter, it's like, she's not going to help. She's going to stay out because she's got to be good on her person. Maybe the gap's open if they feel like uh, committing with it. I don't know. It kind of depends on that middle blocker today. It's, and it depends so much more on, like, your visual aids and using your right eye of, like, she moved. Okay, it's not open. Okay, now I got to make the next yep. decision. <laughs> yeah. Like, all of a sudden – any any scouting pretty much goes out the door like you can scout and be like okay they're going to commit and follow every time if the middle blocker is that dumb you know then you're like all right this is going to be an easy match for me i'll just yeah. play the long way i'll open it up but there's some middles that you're just like all right i they're playing against me I gotta <laughs> like i gotta stay a step ahead the whole time Yes. Which is the beauty of yeah. experience because once you play experienced middle blockers, like if you play really good middles, they never commit. Yeah. They never no, commit. that's been the weird thing is like <laughs> I'm so used to just like having a game plan, knowing each rotation, like what I need to do. By the end of and like even there are teams in the tournament that we had played over the years, like I know every team, like the game plan, even now. I'm like I could tell you what to get against yeah. USC, you dub. And then, like, my coach, we would watch film on teams sometimes, like, and what their blocking system would do. And most of the time he's like, yeah, I don't really know. He's like, well, before one game he was like, uh, we're not even going to watch film on it because their coach is emotional. He's just going to have them. He'll, they'll do something. And I was like, that is not the preparation that I wanted. I was like, I <laughs> am so used to having everything, like, ready to go. And now it's just – it's sometimes less preparation and more just like you got to feel it out and just watch and yeah. figure out as you go, like what they're going to do, which is scary. <laughs> For sure. It's yeah. I, yeah. I remember that my first two years, my second year, I was like, was, all right, is this middle, is she, is he staying in? Like, is he doing this or whatever? And then by my third year, I was like, I'll figure it out. You know, like I don't need to watch this anymore. <laughs> I was like, you know, like you watch, you could literally watch a set and you're like, you watch the first set of like the last five matches they played. And you're like, all right, are they going to come out the same way every time? If they come out the same way every time, that's their tendency. If they don't, <laughs> then they're going to read me. All right. So then I, if they're going to read me, I'll figure it out when I get out there. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> that's your only chance. You're like, all right, then I'm just going to figure it out because I don't have a tendency. Yeah, I know. I go into games and it's like the first couple of sets, I'll set a slide. And like normally they don't like, or at least what we saw, like they weren't really helping with it. And all of a sudden they'll just like double roof the slide. And I'm like, it's going to be that game. I'm like, it's going to be that game. I don't know. I was like, toss everything I had like prepared for this. And we're just got to go back to the drawing boards. I'm like, I, so that's, yeah, that's been the hard part too, is like, I don't even just trying to figure out what they're thinking. I, Cause some, I realized that the way we think about volleyball and like shots and everything, like in the U.S. is is very different. So I'm like, oh damn it! I'm like, I could, I could figure out what like American middle blockers were thinking, what they thought I could do, and now I'm like, well, I know nothing. So we're just gonna toss the ball up and then glance over to see what they had been doing, and they changed their out. So there was, I think it was last weekend. There we played a team though that just always committed to our outsides, and I was like sweet relief I was like this is like college again I'm like they have a system they never changed it no matter how many kills our right side got I was like this rocks and like I love setting I'm way more comfortable setting back than I am like um to the outside so I was like this is this is my dream I'm like I get to back set (laughs) and I get to back set knowing that they're not going to be there there you go yeah pros such a such a different animal man you play these old guys and you're like you can't move you can't move you're like you can't you can't touch me you can't touch me and then all of a sudden you set you feel like you set the fastest ball you've ever set and they're just standing there you're like it's the worst feeling ever it's so frustrating yeah that's i i learned this there's this guy manuel birarelli he's this italian middle block i think he retired finally and I played him my in Germany when we played against Perugia. And we used to set like a third step tempo set back. And like we'd open it up like gap back, gap back. And I remember the first ball I set back and I thought I flung it back. And like he had his hands there. And uh and like the our opposite went block out on him. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yes, I was like, he has the beat on us. It's over. I was already like, oh, my God, he's in my head, dude. He's in my head. It's over. I was like, God, I can't play any faster. I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's the scary part is I'm like, I'm used to in college, like, if you played fast, like, honestly, teams against us, they had to call commits because people weren't good enough to to close on balls. And now I'm out here and I'm like, I feel like I'm firing slides and like firing to the pin and they're blocking us. And I'm like damn it. I'm like, I can't beat him with speed. I'm like, I I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. And I can't tell if they're guessing or if they're just literally that quick. It's the insane. And that's the other thing that gets in my head. I'm like, I'm like, do you, are you in my head or are you just guessing? I'm like, I don't actually know, but it's frustrating. You're frustrating me. Jackson and I think, I think we've talked about this. That's I was like, speed, I, I think speed is overrated. And I, like, really, like, the more, the more I've spent time abroad, I'm like, just set a normal ball and just make great choices because great choices are what leave you one-on-one, not speed. Now, if you can do both, you're Ricardo Garcia and you're going to win a gold medal. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to be, yeah. like, the greatest setter that's ever walked the face of the earth. 
Yeah. But other than that, I'm like, I just don't see the need to speed up balls so much when, like, if I can just get this guy to commit, we're one-on-one everywhere. Like, we're in goal line <laughs> here. doesn't matter how slow the ball is. Like, if he jumps, he jumps. So, yeah, and can't get back, yeah. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. Yeah, and then sometimes I get frustrated with speed because, like, I, I would rather set, like, a mid-tempo ball and just let my hitter go up and have options and just be able to, like, actually smack it because yeah. that was – that was the difference too is I'm like, ah, oh, sometimes it's so fast and I feel like I'm used to setting plumber like a mid speed ball and she can absolutely crank it. Whereas like sometimes out here I feel like I'm firing it so fast that it's just we're just like trying to like go fast just for the sake of going fast rather than being able to see the court and actually hit shots. For sure. For sure. Definitely limits range once you're at like three meters. <laughs> and it's like how sharp can I hit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how sharp, how much angle do I have? <laughs> or, you know, it's really frustrating that people in college don't have kids that go block out. You're like, oh my God. When, yeah, that's one thing that you learn real early when you go abroad. You're like, people don't want clean kills. People don't want to hit the floor. They're looking for me. They want to abuse me tonight. It's, it's literally... It's so disrespectful and I can see them almost like midair making eye contact with me and I know it's coming and they still do it to me. And I'm like, God dang it. It is so annoying. There's only been a couple times though, where I like, I feel so smug whenever I pull my hands down and then they throw it out and I'm like, that's right. Not so dumb, but like (laughs) (laughs) I block out out here is ridiculous. It is so, I mean, that's honestly, I feel like in a match, that is the number way, number one way to get in my head. Like, if I'm getting frustrated on the block, I will, like, setting, I can control what I'm doing, but, like, that's the one thing they can do to me that's going to piss me off so much, and it happens. We have, what, like, two or three of our pins out here. Their tendency is, like, down the line, and, like, they have these crazy just, like, they'll take it from inside. Miserable. And go across, they'll <laughs> swipe you, and I'm like, I hate you. Like, I hate you so much. One of them is, like, 18 years old, and I'm, like, disrespectful. I'm, like, I don't like this. And how do you know how to do this already? Is it? I, I, I for sure, Jackson, we've talked about this. I talked about this with Mike Ma, and I was, like, what's the one, like, what's the worst thing, what's the worst feeling as a blocker? Oh, it's easily just, like, the tight balls, and then – you see them coming and you know they're going to come for your now hands. You're young. Now and then you're they young. just that's like. Not, that's not it. What's the worst feeling as a blocker? Are you asking uh, your opinion or do you want the answer to your question? No, I want the answer. No, 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 no. This isn't an opinion. <laughs> this is by far the worst feeling as a blocker. Jackson, I bet you know. Um, honestly, okay. The other thing is I can think of is like. You're thinking I, situational already. Yeah, okay. Jackson, what's the worst Matt, why feeling? Don't, Matt, why don't you just tell us what the worst feeling you is? You don't want to touch a ball. No, yes. You don't want yes. to touch the ball. It's the oh, worst yeah. feeling ever where you're just you're like, right. you know what? You've abused me to such a point where it's like, I'll give you all the angle you want. I don't want to touch the ball anymore. Yep. Or like, no, you, want right. it, you want the whole street? Take it. Like, screw it. I don't want this. 
I don't want a piece of this anymore, dude. I don't want to be on the highlight reel. It's not for me. <laughs> you know, and I was talking You're to Michael right. Ball about this and I, I asked him and he goes, and I, I was so shocked. He goes, well, you don't want to touch the ball. And he looked like this like drowned puppy dog. And I was like, man, this has happened to you a lot more than it happens to most people, I guess. And he was like, oh, it's just miserable, dude. And he said the exact same thing because it's his second year abroad. And he's like, I feel like on three mans, I close the line. And somehow these mofos still go block out on me. <laughs> yep. No, okay. That actually is the worst feeling. Like I actively cringe when I see our pins that have like line tendencies. I'm like, please, 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 please. I'm like, I'm trying so hard. My right hand is at the pin and somehow they still get me. And I'm like, I hate you. I'm like, I hate you so much. Yeah. That was always, it was, I think it was USC. Cause they ran it fast too. those yeah. games. I was like, please just don't set it to the outside. Or I was like, go to the outside when Fitz is up there, but not me. I'm like, I don't want to. Just leave it inside. It's like, just die. <laughs> die a little bit, you know, the worst <laughs> is when it's like gap go and the go hitter hits line and they're like we need you to stay in and help and i'm like then we're gonna get killed it's gonna go <laughs> down the line you know. it's like i just want to <laughs> let you know that i'm gonna reach and they're gonna teach tonight i just want to <laughs> let everybody know that it's gonna happen and i'm okay with it i can accept this i'm gonna get my soft touches but we better serve well because I ain't getting no stuff. To, like, I'm not getting stuff blocked. I just want to let everybody <laughs> know tonight that your boy's getting killed. Well, like, nothing's worse, too, than it's, like, making the decision where it's, like, do I reach and know I'm going to get tooled? Or do I just leave it and know and just, like, let my right back just get obliterated? I'm, like, nope, do I, I put tooled. myself out on the tool? Or do I – I'm, like, I don't know which is worse. No, I just talked to Maddie about this last night. I was, like, I would rather throw my right hand and get tooled no, I'm getting tooled the whole time. That's fine. They get bounced on and get put on somebody's highlight reel any day of the yeah. week. It's yeah, like getting right. dunked on in volleyball. Yeah. Like, I, I am not going to have somebody bounce a ball in the middle of the 10-foot line, and I'm going to be the guy that's floating by like, it wasn't out. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like I'm like, I give the most like shameful look backwards or I'm like scared to look back at right back when I leave like a stupid amount of line open on them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. I just yeah, hope I it's out. I'm just like out, out. <laughs> just Something. don't look. Is out. Nets, anything. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, terrible feeling. I'm with you. I remember those days. They get moderately easier with time. Yeah, well, right now I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what logic is right now. I'm like, is there even logic behind this? Am I just, are they guessing? Am I guessing? Maybe. I'm like, I don't it's know. pure logic. That's the worst part. Is you're like, <laughs> they can't, they're like, you're like, you, they can't know. They can't know. Because I yeah. know. <laughs> They're like, but if I don't know, then how can they know? <laughs> it's like, they know. I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm like, yeah. maybe if I don't even know, and like, I don't think then they can't follow my logic because I'm oh, trying no. not to be logical. I played two middle blockers tonight and we watched film and 
they would, we call it taking option. They would take the option and like run to two or run to four and commit and read and follow and not fall. And I was just like, you know, tonight's going to be one of those nights where I'm just going to have to perceive and whatever happens, <laughs> happens. I'm just going to play like my way. I'll play the long, I'll keep it tight. I do the same thing every match. Nobody's figured out. I start tight. I open it up. I close it. And then I open it up, and that's it. The same crap every single match. Nobody can figure it out. You just adapt and die. And tonight, I was just like, I hope they don't get the beat. Because if they do, it's over. <laughs> it is over. It's terrible. They read the whole match. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I thought you guys, our coach was like, they're going to follow in front the whole night. They followed and they never committed. They never committed once. That's the scariest. Not once. They did not commit once. They would take like a step, maybe. And then I was like, well, a step doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Let's pump it. Let's go. Let's pump this thing. Yeah, not good. Yeah, you'll be fine. Don't worry. I'm sure it'll something will start to make sense at some point. There was there was literally one practice where I was like, I'm just gonna do the opposite of what I would normally do today and just see what happens. And like they were still there. I was like, I'm not even following my logic now. I'm like, how are you guys figuring this out? So I think it's one of those where it takes time and that's what's really frustrating. So I'm like, I just wanna know already. That's the worst part about setting. I can't say, I can say it gets easier. It's like anything in life. It gets easier and then you're just like, another divot in the road, huh? Didn't see this one coming. And then it gets easier. Then it's hard for like, you know, two months. And then it's easy for like two weeks and then it's hard for another two months, you know? And you're like, just let me get hot again, you know? Let, <laughs> let the game be slow. Yep. And that's like the best feeling. You're like, oh man. It's just slow. I see everything. I see it feels great. Moving. It's the best feeling ever. Get in flow. It's like, how do I get there faster? That's where I'm at. I want to be in that zone. <laughs> I had it I had a small taste against the team that was like, you know what? We're just always gonna commit to the outside. And go. I was like this is sick. Can all teams be like this? Taste is good. Taste yeah. Taste is good. So we're just, we're riding the high. I'm just going to keep trying to ride the high after uh, that one game. And it'll last me however months it takes to maybe have one more game where I'm like, hey, I'm figuring it out. You don't even need, it's positive self-talk. You don't even need a game. <laughs> you don't even need a set. You need like a run of points in your life. You're like, oh, we're starting out at 100% right now. Okay, we're five for five. You start one for one. Okay, we're two for two, three for three. You know, you're like, okay, that's some FBSO right there. <laughs> and you just let that run, keep taking its course. And they're like, okay, I got this. I am in control. <laughs> I think it's that's funny the best think... feeling is when you're like, I'm so in control. Like you guys, I own you. It feels, it feels so good. It's like, um, 
the best feeling as a setter, like, I love hearing, like, when I set the ball, hearing a blocker just be like, oh, shit. And I'm like, that's right. I'm like, yes. And I've yet to have that happen out here, but we're just still reminiscing of college, like, hearing blockers be like, oh, shoot. And I'm like, yeah, I got you, man. I got you. Suck it. Yeah, it's got to be the same way with coaching, yeah, Jackie? Where, like, you're just – you got the beat on somebody, and you're like – Yeah, like, when you when you come up with a scouting report or an offensive game plan and it's just flowing, you're like – so good. I saw that. I saw I knew, that. knew that was coming. <laughs> Don't blow this for me, ladies. Keep the game plan. That's got to be a good feeling in timeouts, too, where you're just like, keep the game plan. It's working. <laughs> then on the other side, when it's just not going well at all, and it's like, what am I doing here? I don't know. <laughs> People pay me for this. <laughs> that has definitely come through my mind as a pro, where like you walk away from matches and you're just like, I'm getting paid for this. <laughs> and I just, and you're like, I just did that. Even so, there's some losses where you're like, or some wins where you're like we're supposed to get a bonus huh I don't know if I deserve that but I'll take it I'll take it you know I don't think it's like I wasn't a part of that five people out there and a libro and I touched some balls I touched some balls yeah dude you're not alone it's nice to know that other setters feel this way because I'm like, am I the only one that I just like, what's that meme of like the dog on the computer? Where it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, that's how I feel some days. And I'm like, I'm getting paid to just not really know what I'm doing right now. Nah, you're going through a transition period. It's called an identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> we all go through it. We're like, yeah. <laughs> Like, you're the king in college and stuff, and then you go abroad, and everybody's like, nobody nobody gives a shit what you did in college. Yeah, I'm like, they're no, like, no. I... They're like, there's this Avi Chea. Are you a part of this Avi Chea? Like, you mean the ABCA? No, I'm not a coach. I'm not a part of that. There's this All-American... Yeah. You are all American. <laughs> yes. What does this mean? Is this trophy? You get trophy? You go. It's like, no, no. Like, no, no it's like, it. it's, that's not it. It's not it. It's just. Yeah. I know. Like right now I'm like, I swear guys, I used to be able to like just slice and dice middle blockers. They had no idea where the ball was going. And now I'm realizing I'm like, damn, you guys always know. And I realize I'm like, damn it. Sometimes in college, like, like setters just couldn't like locate it well so they would maybe make that decision but it wouldn't be a good set and i'm like everyone can locate well out here i'm yeah. like i no longer have the strength and location against people i'm like this is a bummer this is a bummer everyone is good yeah honestly i feel that way my first month or two on every team because yeah. you're trying to figure out like the identity and personality of each individual plus your team yeah. in a whole so for the first month, like there's this point where you're kind of trying to prove yourself, which is actually like the act of diminishing returns. And you're like, you're doing so much to do so little, which is also yeah. a horrible feeling. Yeah. And then 
eventually once you figure it out, like you just find yourself again and then you're like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. But the worst is telling your teammates like, I swear, I swear I'm good at this sport. I swear yeah. I am. You got to believe me. You got to trust me on this one. Yes. Oh my God. There. Yeah. The first couple of months, I just like could not figure out like some of the pins, especially like with our tempo. I was like, I just don't even know how to set you right now. And I'm like, I swear I used to be good and I can set hitters up. But like right now I can barely give you a hittable ball. And I'm really sorry about that. But like, I'll try to figure it out. Um, I guess luckily we, we had an identity crisis. We've had some, we've had some hard knocks this season. <laughs> so we've gone through a couple identity crises as a, as a team, but hopefully it'll be, it'll be better. I think also my first two months was more like, just getting like figuring out the hitters and just connecting. And now I'm in the point where I'm like, okay, I know we can connect. And now it's a lot more about decisions, but literally the first like month I was like, I don't care if there's two blockers. I just want it to be a hittable 100%. ball for that. Hit. 100%. I was like, I just want it to be in the right location. And okay. I was like, that feels so basic. And I feel like I'm going back to the basics, but I was like, my goal today is to make every ball hittable for each person and like in their tendencies. Yeah, I am 100% with you. I do the same thing. Yeah. I guess, and I need to remember, I'm like, colleges, and that's what I need to remind myself too, is like, you play with this mostly same girls for like two, three, four years. So like you start every season at least having one or two hitters that you're really comfortable setting and you can always go back to that. Whereas like each year with your team, I'm like, I have a new hitter. So wherever I set it, it's with someone that I'm, not comfortable setting and I'm like that sucks and that's scary <laughs> yeah but if you can develop a relationship with them pretty early and be like I know this isn't like the faster you can realize like that's not your set yeah then they're like all right cool at least she knows and I one thing that I've learned too is like having teammates that are willing to put in extra moments with you. It's like, Hey, I want to set at you an extra 10 balls at the end of practice. And they're like, okay, mm -hmm. like let's work on this. Like that goes for me, that goes so far one as like a teammate and two, just like for our team, I'm like, this is going to be so great for us that you're willing to put in this amount of time mm -hmm. with me. Cause it's going to be, it's inevitable for our success that we have to figure this out yeah oh yeah we I feel like at the beginning we got stuck in this our coach just like I don't know we set in the hoop and like I was just so focused on like setting that same ball that we go in the hoop and like my coach would watch film and he's like that's the right set but I was like it's not the right set for the hitter though yeah. like it's the right set for the hoop but it's not for the hitter and I think that was our breakthrough at least for connecting it was we finally were like hey let's just talk through this like I'll change it I don't need to make the hoop every time and also like volleyball is such a fluid sport and it's so it's never black and white like the situation is always different and for setting that's a frustrating thing is like I I like I hated setting in the hoop in college because I was like it's so not game like like I watch my hitters and I hold the ball longer like the timing of all of it like it's just not like sometimes I'm not I mean I'm not the most consistent setter but like sometimes you don't want to be the most consistent because hitting that hoop every single time is not what's best for your hitters for sure um so that's been also working through that. But I'm glad. I've, 
and I feel bad because like our two pens are older than me and I'm like I'm so sorry I'm like I'm the rookie coming in that just is like floundering right now and I want to figure it out for you guys and I'm so so sorry <laughs> I came to a conclusion this year about the hoop the only thing that matters about the hoop is is the trajectory the same and I've come to the conclusion, mm -hmm. and I've taught, obviously, talking to a lot of hitters about this. They don't care if it's too far, and they don't care if it's too inside, and they don't really care if it's tight or off. They just care if that ball looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, because yeah. that's their job. Like, they're like, no, I'll make that adjustment. That's fine. Like, but if the ball looks the same, and it sits the same, and it's a, yeah. a meter inside, they're like, I can get that ball. And if it's yeah. all the way out to the pin, they're like, I can get that ball. And if it's tight, I can get that ball. They're like, but yeah. it's just the trajectory is the only thing that matters. And I was like, as soon as I thought about that, I was like, I'm just going to make every ball sit the same way. That and is actually – I'm like, that's my job. I'm just going to make them all sit the same. And if they fall inside – and ever since I made that connection, I've had so much more success setting the pins because I'm just like – this is it. This is the ball. And if it sits and it like hangs a little bit too much in, they got it. Cause at least it looks the same for them. That is actually a really, I think that's going to be very helpful because like when I think about it too, that's a frustrating part about working through like with pins because so many things affect like, especially like quick sets. I'm like, it can, be the right distance the right speed but the wrong like loop or like the wrong time out of my hands I'm like people don't realize how many things go into one set and like identifying the problem and honestly I never really thought about that like if you can just get to the basis of the right loop and it's sitting the same it's the same ball it's the same ball you don't have to take it like you could take it with your head over the net you could be on your ass setting but if that ball is the same trajectory, <laughs> they don't care. They don't care because it yeah. looks the same. It looks the same, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's their timing. So if their timing yeah. is comfortable, they can make adjustments yeah. out of that, especially at the pro level. 100%. But like yeah. you're saying, when you, change that, when you change that loop, that's messing up their timing, and then they're going to be forced to throw or shoot or go for something not, not high percentage. Yeah, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I just – that's something that's helped me tremendously this season in efficiency. You know, yeah. like efficiency of, like, set quality and efficiency of my attackers hitting percentage, obviously, has gone up because it's just, like, just let it – like, as long as it looks the same, it doesn't have to land in the same spot. As long as it looks the same, they're like, okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, makes sense, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. That's my noted. Thing. I'm gonna use that in practice tomorrow. I think that could really help. Try it out. Let me know. Sit the same. I just like I just watch I watch a lot of setters, and I'm like that ball looks the same. Like it, they land inside. They fly out past the pin, but like when it happens, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. 
So I, I was like, I think I'm going to try that, you know, because there's some, there's some bad, there's some setters. They're not bad. There's some setters though, where I'm like, you make a lot of great choices, but you have really shitty set quality. Yeah. Sets just, they all sit the exact same way. So hitters are like, all right, I can go get that thing. So, <laughs> like, all right, cool. Mm. Oh. Um, thank you for Jim, coming thanks on. For, yeah, thanks for your time. We, we appreciate it. Yeah, of course. This is so much fun. I feel like I always, I love geeking out about volleyball and I love talking with, it's been really helpful talking with like other players um, overseas just because, I don't know, especially now with Corona, like I don't get to talk with girls on the other teams as much. So it's been nice connecting with um, everyone else that kind of gets this pretty small world, you know, like talking back home with people, they just don't get it. So it's nice having a handful of people that, that get it and are helpful. Jackson gets it. He's been with me for the last six years, basically. You just download all my bullshit on him. <laughs> I've got a whole document on it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again. And good luck this season. And I hope that you guys can stay healthy, both like with the immune system and physically, mentally, and emotionally. Thank you. You too. Hopefully we can finish out our seasons. Who knows what will be happening within the next couple of months but yeah thanks for having me but you know we'll see yeah all right later yep see you guys see ya